This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down scripture and biblical topics to make them easy to understand and inspire a conversation that is ultimately glorifying to God. We pray that this content blesses you, challenges you, and edifies you in your faith. So have a seat at the table, and without further ado, let's get into the show. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, no one did still. it to me. Come on. You guys got to step on me on that what intro. That's what we do every time. Somebody Somebody I'm just sick and tired of getting baited into doing that. <laughs> oh, this bro is carrying the spirit of heaviness on him. We're going to pray for him live on the podcast. All the listeners, if you would just extend a hand out in front of you and pretend. We're taking up a love our offering. Creek is in front we of do her. need a love offering. For Creek, for frankincense and myrrh, maybe a shot of red. We bowl. need three new mics, a computer. Good night. I actually already ordered the mics. We need a car for At The Table podcast, really. Man. Tyler Perry. He gave me such a good deal on that jet, I had to buy it. I had to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Wind blow! Oh, my God. You just spiked that mic. That levels through the roof. (laughs) Somebody's going to be cussing us out for that. (laughs) Hopefully not. This is a Christian show. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) So we're getting into uh, episode four. Yeah, last episode we were uh, covering Jacob's life, and I think we pretty effectively ruled him out as the snake crusher. But... <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah, such a stand-up guy. <laughs> uh, no, but before we tread on, we do have a special guest today joining us at the table. But is Lewis? Did you just do your own sound effects? I did. Oh, None of you looked like you were ready for it. So. Well, I wasn't. Yeah. It wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have done it. But, Lewis, just take a few seconds and introduce yourself to the audience. Tell us a little bit about you. Hello. I'm, Li- I'm Lewis. Sorry, that was it. Okay, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> uh, just a uh, Christian who loves the Lord. Awesome. Lewis, the Christian who loves the Lord. Man. As Got can, invited to do this. That's all it takes to be qualified for this podcast. I'll work with John. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Man. Okay. Well, there you go. Lewis, give you guys a, a brother from a Calvary Chapel church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Across the, the brother from on a, the other side of town. The wrong side yeah. of town. From another yeah. ecclesia. Yeah. Yeah. Another good group. Stuff. Have you watched Jesus Revolution yet? Never heard of it. What's that? <laughs> you mind. <laughs> Every Calvary Chapel. We all know the Calvary up. Chapel bought y'all a ticket. Y'all we've seen the bus when we drove by we the got, theater. We got the early uh early screen. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that there probably will never be an Assembly of God movie in theaters. Well, I hope that there's yeah, not. I hope there's not. <laughs> <laughs> there's a streets coming out in a week. <laughs> that movie's actually fired. Well, it was Jesus Revolution. I, it really was. I liked it. I know we just lost every reformer yeah. listening. Well, hey, I don't um, know that we had that. This audience. podcast doesn't necessarily share all of the views of Creek. So <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, have you seen the way the reformers are riding on that movie? Dog, no, do you see oh, the way yeah. the reformers ride on every movie? <laughs> <laughs> 
Dude, it is a little bit true. I mean, like, I'm probably more reformer than anything else, just to be totally candid. I line up, but sometimes I just think, like, guys, do we ever get exhausted being so contentious about everything? We do want to say, like, we are you for any one thing ever? If you're reformed, we love you. We just got to make fun of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We are we at the end of the, day. the Pentecostals. See, can you imagine writing the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, subtitles for the Azusa Street? <laughs> wow! Oh, I gotta oh, I gotta wow! I gotta don't do it. I don't know if this can get any more Carl. <laughs> we picked on the middle of the road guys. They're somewhere in the middle. We picked on the Calvary guys. Come on, dude. We picked on the reformers hard on one side and the charismatics on the other. Come on, man. The truth, the truth of the matter is, no matter where you sit on the spectrum, if you love Jesus, we love you, and we're brothers. Right? And we'll make fun of you. And we that, will make fun of everyone equally. Yeah. But every good brother does. Yeah. <laughs> everyone already knows that they're bad. Everybody already knows they're sinners. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just they, saying. They don't know that. Not yet. Not, but, but they will at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we'll at least Romans there. five. Let's go. We'll know that a few people in the pot in, in this episode are okay. So Joseph, <laughs> moving on to the material. Joseph, son of Jacob. Jacob. Yeah, Joseph Ben Jacob. Uh, Joseph has some dreams. Starting in Genesis thirty-seven, it says that Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourns in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilha and Zilpah, his father's con- wife. Sorry, not concubine. Um, Joseph had brought a, a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and my sheaf arose and stood upright, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to mine. His brothers said, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? And summarizing the rest of this chapter, it goes in a similar fashion. He has another dream, except this time instead of sheaves of of wheat, it's like sun and moon and stars, and, and they're bowing down. Except this time, his father rebukes him, too. So pretty much, when somebody has a dream like this, it's going to make everybody mad. Yeah. Yeah, uh, just a little bit of the narrative patterning. I hate being that guy every every episode, but, I mean, that's what sticks out to me the most is you have him kind of casted in that way as a son of Jacob, because it, it was, it was a dream that his dad had. And that's the first time where we read where like someone's just dreaming and God appears to him in a dream. And so he's it, kind of having this meaningful dream kind of paints him in the light as the son of his father, Jacob. Um, but you have in verse 11, it says his father keeps, he kept this saying in mind. Yeah. So he evidently pays it some kind of stock. Definitely. Well, why, why wouldn't he? Jacob is the other guy that had the dream. Right. And also it's, it's kind of funny that it notes that he's the son of his old age, right? Mm-hmm. So in that way, he's painted as like Isaac. Yeah. Because Abraham loved Isaac because he was the son of his old age. And so like you're having this already where he's getting painted in the light of the patriarchs. They're picking from these things and, and the writer of, of this of this book is, is throwing these little hints in there like, 
this guy's got a lineage, right? He's a yeah. son of his father in this way, in this way. He's shepherding the flocks, and right? Keeping in mind what his name means, too. For he will take away my reproach by adding to me a son. That's good. Dude. Jacob's There's a sermon. Jacob right had a lot of reproach. Boy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> he but that, yeah, that just, you know, just saying that, that I think that that's really important because it's, it's, we've read thus far how in every generation God highlights one person and he, and he picks someone. And right here, we, we read this chapter starting out with Joseph and, and it's highlighting things in his life that make him look important. And I'm sure that after he has these two dreams about being raised up to rule over all of his brothers and stuff, everybody's pretty happy to support him. Yeah, I think so. I bet that's probably what's <laughs> I bet they're like throwing a party like, yeah, yay. Yay, Joseph. <laughs> Joseph, Joseph, he's our man. <laughs> and I will say it's, you know, interesting that the youngest brother is having I love these Nancy. types of dreams. I love that. That's that's something that we've talked about too is you have this the, the younger being elevated over the older, right? We've already read and where Reuben sins against his father because he sleeps with his concubine or his wife, as this says. And so, like, you have that fall from grace there. And we're about to get into it where some of the other older brothers, the firstborn, right, the preeminent sons, where they, they sin. They do something bad that kind of removes them from grace or favor in their father's eyes. Well, um, anyhow, he, he does, he goes to check on his brothers and they, he's sent from the Valley of Hebron and he comes to Shechem. If I'm not mistaken, the last time we were in Shechem, some pretty wily things happened. Yeah. Well, they, they, you mean they wiped out an entire city? The whole city <laughs> after telling them to get circumcised. But it's important to note see. that they, he did give a bad report on his brothers. Yeah. Yeah. So like he, he snitched on them straight up and now they're, they're not happy about it. So. They go to Dothan, and Joseph, in verse 17, says, hey, let's let's go get him. So he finds him at Dothan. They see him from afar off, and before he comes near, they start plotting on how they can kill him. So you have this this son that is, is favored by his father, um, having a dream that he's going to be raised up above them, and he's going to, he's going to be over them. They're going to bow to him. And their response to that, keeping in mind that his name means, you know, God has taken away my reproach by adding to me a son is let's kill him. Let's kill the dreamer. In this light, they look a lot like Cain. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to, they're looking a lot like some characters that once we, we end the, the Tanakh and, and move forward past the old Testament into the new Testament, they're going to look like some other characters too. Yeah. So we just have, I mean, the majority of the brothers looking like the snake. Yeah, eleven plotting to kill one. That's gonna have some some vibes. Yeah, so they come together and they say, Let, "Let's kill this dreamer." And they said to one another, "You know, we're gonna do it. We're gonna we're gonna kill him." And verse twenty says, "Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that an animal has devoured him, and we will see, or and we will see what becomes of his dreams." Then, right? So the contention over the dreaming. But Reuben, the one who's kind of fallen from grace in his dad's eyes. He heard it, <clears throat> but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, only throw him into the pit. <coughs> Do not lay a hand on him. That he And he thought in his mind, I'm going to go back and rescue him and take him back to dad after the fact, right? But when Joseph came, they stripped him of his robe. They threw him in the pit. 
there's no water in there. They sit down to eat, which I mean, it's so hard for me not to go into like the New Testament already with some of this stuff. But they sit down to eat and look up and they see a caravan of Ishmaelites, right? Distant cousins coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not your hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened and the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Yeah. Yeah. So was Judah being a little bit nice? Kind of. Uh, he sold his maybe. brother as a slave. Okay, he could have <laughs> killed him. I don't think that's how we. Is this really about money? Well, you know and these saying? are what? These are the second cousins by this generation, right? Uh, third. Because Ishmael, Ishmael would be the uncle. To, oh, yeah, yeah. Third cousins. But I mean, if you are a New Testament reader and you don't see something about shekels of Judah silver. selling his brother for 20 shekels of silver. Yeah, a little difference sort of on the number, but yeah, Judah. I mean, but out of all places too he ends up going to egypt yeah as we've already discussed with abraham and that generally doesn't turn out oh and to, to jacob and, and isaac i believe all three of them in one place or another they get told do not go down to egypt yeah don't go there but joseph gets taken there on his uh against his will um reuben returns to the pit he sees that joseph's not there and he says to himself the boy is gone and where shall I go? So as the oldest, he's probably thinking like, I'm going to get blamed for this. So they took his robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped it in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this is what we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins. Weird. And mourned for his son many days. <laughs> all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused, saying, I will go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. And thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph to Egypt to Potiphar, the officer of the Pharaoh. <clears throat> so now it's traded hands to his other third cousins, from the Ishmaelites to the Midianites. I think it's the same person. Midian was Midian, not a son of. Uh, of of one of no Midian was the son of one of Abraham's uh ladies after Sarah died. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Qatar, Qatar, yeah, right, something like that. Any thoughts? I mean, that was a lot packed into a chapter, really. Well, it's, yeah, it's definitely the the setup of of something. You remember this, when there was another, um, I guess uh, chosen one, Abraham, who uh, he sins against an Egyptian slave. And God tells him that in the making of the covenant that your your sons are gonna they're gonna be you know prisoners in a foreign land. They're gonna be slaves in a foreign foreign land for four hundred years. You know, now you have a slave, a son of the chosen one, being sold to an Egyptian as a slave mm, instead yeah. of the Egyptian being a slave. Now it's, it's almost a moment of divine justice. It feels like you know you abused the Egyptian slave woman, and now. Here you are becoming a slave in Egypt yourself. And hold on to that because there's more, I think, there later the, on. And this next chapter seems weird, like oddly Random. placed in the storyline. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't, isn't it? it? 
It's kind of it's like we highlight Joseph, and then all of a sudden, let's go back to Judah. Yeah, the focus shifts on the story. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. He saw that the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her, and she bore a son. And his name was Ur. She conceived again and bore another son. His name is Anan. She bore another son, and his name was Shelah. So he has three sons with a Canaanite woman, which we've already covered explicitly so far is not a good thing, right? Yeah, it's what it contrasts him to 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 his father Jacob because Jacob did not take a Canaanite woman, but went back to Haran, and and as did Isaac and, and Abraham. So right here, you're having Judah contrasted as almost like the Esau, right? Almost like the Cain. You're you're, go, you're marrying into a people that you're supposed to be separate from. There's more moments of divine justice too. Judah's wife, um, he takes a wife for Ur, his firstborn son, and her name is Tamar. But Ur, his his firstborn son, was wicked in God's eyes, so God put him to death. Gosh, man, this is yeah. the first time you read like where one person specifically God right, like, like he had to have been pretty bad. If like we've seen Cain, <laughs> yeah. we've seen all these bad dudes, and God's like, nah, you're getting yanked. Yeah. That one, Down, yeah. not gonna work. <laughs> so then Judah says to Onan, "Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring to your brother." Gosh, but. Ona knew that the offspring would not be his, so when he went in his into his brother's wife, he would waste the seed on the ground so as to not give offspring to his brother. So he did what was wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and God put him to death too. Gosh! So you have I mean, the yeah. wickedness just compounding. What, what, what do you think? The, what, what did he do that was wicked? Well, it just says, "Oh yeah. man, he's he's putting you to the oh, test." Oh yeah, he's being the serpent. <laughs> well, my friend. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> my translation, to my translation is vastly different. Well, I think his is. I think I think the ESV says what what we saw, but he said seed. Yeah, you, you I'm really it? proud of yes, you. I, I traded. What it. does yours uh, say? Can you read it? No, I'm not going to read it. It's the English Standard Version. Why can't you read it? It says semen. <laughs> Are you happy? What does that mean? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you mean the Navy? But no, seriously though, what I think what was wicked I, I is is that. like. I, I, he didn't refuse to go in and do the duty, right? He re he refused to give her what what would have he helped her, what her the benefit. Yeah. yeah. So basically, he's going in saying, "I'm going to use it. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to yeah. use this thing for me. But when it comes time to give you what you're due, I'm going to withhold that. Your purpose is not to enjoy your dead brother's yeah, wife, dude. That's yeah. that is jacked up. You know. I, th I think we see that God has a plan with with Tamar and using her as part of. The lineage up to, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you guys are. No, are no. you allowed to mention that? Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. that well, the I mean, lineage dude, up to Christ. Lewis, that is such a good point because, like, the two people that, that married Tamar, God's yeah. like, not, not you, uh, no. not you. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. So he's got he's got two sons dead <clears throat> out of three, and the last one is too young because and Judah's afraid that he's going to die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house, waiting until Judah's son gets of age. And she realizes that he's not keeping his end of the bargain. He's yeah. not doing the right thing. So it says in the course of, of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. He and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, 
And when Tamar was told your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat in the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. <laughs> so he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What are you going to give me? And he said, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge will I give to you? And she replied, Your signet, your cord, and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, taking off her veil, and she put on the garments of her widowhood. Then Judah sends the young goat by his friend to take the pledge back from the woman's hand, and he doesn't find her. So he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who is at Anaim at the roadside? It's interesting that it adds that in. Yeah. So it just kind of adds more of a flavor to Judah's transgression yeah. that this was, he, he suspected that this was a cult prostitute, a temple prostitute used yeah. in the act of worshiping worship. a pagan God. Yeah. Well, this would have been like a, a in, in that culture, it would have been a cost for entrance, like into trade. Like yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to trade amongst us, you're going to, to worship our God. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to pay homage in this way. Yeah. So you have Judah playing the oh. role of a harlot. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be straight. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah absolutely. Explicitly calls not him. just against. Yeah you know, tomorrow, but also, you know, specifically against, against God. God. So he returned to Judah and said, I haven't found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, do you not know what's going to happen to you? Not uh, ready so, to think about it. So they, they found out about three months later, Judah was told, tomorrow your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she's pregnant. So Judah has her brought out and he's going to burn her. Yeah. He's, he's going to put her to death. And it's ultimate irony, right? Like you're telling her she can't be a prostitute. It's a pot cuddling. You know what I'm yeah. Like, like it's like, like what, bro? And where he, you know, he wasn't even willing to protest for his, his signet cord and staff because he's like, this is going to make me, you know, look bad. He's the first time he hears of, of this. He's like, "Let's burn her. Let's, let's put her to fire." It's like, "What the heck, dude?" Yeah, man. It's it's and almost like you but know he's exposed and he he blames her. It seems like for the deaths of his sons. When it's like your sons were wicked, well, they deserve what they got. It's it's interesting too because the the wife or the the mother of those sons right was a Canaanite woman. Yeah. And man, that was not supposed to be in the line. That is a solid of, of Christ. And so now it's like he skips a whole generation and comes in, mm. you know, to Tamar. No, no half breed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Well, it, it comes uh, when they bring her to, to put her to fire. She, she sends uh, a word to her father in law and says, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and cord staff. And Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son Shelah, and he did not know her. In the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. That sounds familiar. And when she was in labor, one, hand, one put a hand out, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on its hand, saying, this one came out first. 
But as he drew his hand back, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. After his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zara. So back to my little narrative patterning. I, I hope so that there's twins this, again. This yeah. looks very familiar. Well, it's, it's not just twins. It seems like almost a flavor of contention amongst twins, right? Like a wrestling, like with with, with Jacob and Esau. You know, they were, they were wrestling in the womb. So this one's coming out first, and then I could almost just see a little Yakov grabbing him and yanking him back in, right? <laughs> Diving out first. <laughs> but it, it almost like puts forward like this this flavor in the air, like wow, more more conflict, more conflict amongst brothers, brothers that can't be at peace, right? Mm. But we have we have tomorrow justified in this, and I, I love what Lewis said because it, it's true. It's like God specifically removed those out of the way that He did not want in the line. And he, you know, even though Judah is unwilling and a bad guy, he's the one that, that goes into tomorrow and the offspring are born. One could say he's elected. Elected? Oh, okay. Shout out to the. Let's go. And yeah. also, just side note, first Mexican in scripture, Perez. <laughs> Shout out. So for those Shout of you who know peeps. that we are white, yeah, Lewis is not. He yeah. is the resident person of color. Yeah. So you can say that. <laughs> Why did you say it that yeah. way? You can't just say. <laughs> they don't like that. They don't like. We that. need representation, dude. Yeah. A little so flavor. This oddly placed chapter that seems that at first maybe seemed like why is this here? It's gonna yeah. focus shifts to Judah, and I think we'll we'll know why in time. It shifts back to Joseph in thirty nine. Yeah, remember the guy that was sold to Egypt? Yeah, Potiphar? this yeah. dude was sold into a, a land of slavery. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt to Potiphar. And the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, he bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all the things that he did to succeed. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him. And he made him the overseer of his entire house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from that time, he was in charge. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the, in the house and in the field. He left all that he had in the charge of Joseph because he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Joseph was a handsome man in appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no... Because my master has no concern for anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has under my charge, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. And we, that's like, it kind of makes more sense why that chapter was so random because we see a clear contrast between Judah yeah. and Joseph. I mean, yeah, you see Judah or Sleep well, you the see first a cult yeah, prostitute exactly. that you find him. Yeah. <laughs> and then one is acting like a cult prostitute. His little he's brother. Like, he's like, yeah. The youngest, he's like, no, nah, I guess not the youngest, but he's like, no. Not yeah. only would I, will I not sin against my master Potiphar, but I would not sin against God in this way. And when we think of cult yeah, prostitute, yeah. that's where the tr big one lied with us where do we get the yeah. idea that this is a sin against god yeah exactly right that's the whole thing there's no like, law where did well he was a, a son of his father who had a real encounter with god yeah. and spent a lot of time with him and you'd have to assume that he picked up some sort of 
moral um, compass. Not just moral compass, but realization that God exists and God is real. Yeah. And that therefore I want to live my life in accordance with honoring him. Yeah. And even though it's not necessarily like a law yet, like thou shalt not commit adultery, I think it was it, yes, kind of a moral compass in his heart that like and I would be, say people people have that natural moral idea. I think that, this thou shalt not is, take your master's wife. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I think this has to do idea. with sancti sanctification of of, <laughs> of Israel, right? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that like, he, he he has this idea and knows like I'm not supposed to do what Judah did. I'm not supposed to intermarry. I'm not supposed to have children with someone outside of, of my people. That's yeah. a bad thing, right? It's it's not a good thing for me to mix with these people of Egypt. My father was told, don't go down to Egypt. Don't do these things. And so it's, a, it's not just about a, a moral code as in a law, but it's more like God has separated us from these people, and that is a good thing. Yeah. And uh, isn't it in Romans that it talks about having a moral compass everyone's born yeah. with like some sort of and conscience and recognition yeah. but yeah. also like the new testament you know teaching of, of love your neighbor as yourself love your enemies as as you know what i mean it's when you're walking in love towards those around you you're not gonna want to take advantage yeah yeah like that, <laughs> that's the last thing she's also running. cast in, in the light of uh the Adam and Eve in the garden because it says that she cast her eyes on him. She saw that he looked good and her desire was to take, but he's like, no. Yeah. Sign me with that pie. <laughs> and verse 10 says she spoke to him day after day and he wouldn't listen to her and he wouldn't go lie with her or be beside her. So, like the story goes on, you know, one day she catches him by his garment saying, come on, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran out of the house. And, you know, she, she uh, lies about yeah, she accuses him, him of rape. Accuses him of trying to rape her. He gets thrown in prison, summarizing the chapter. And then, you know, you, you kind of like get this sour note because the righteous has been unjustly accused for something he hasn't done wrong. But Joseph was put in the prison. And, you know, the very last scripture of this chapter says the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever yeah. he did, he made it succeed. Yeah. So just like the the persecution, if you call it that, in Egypt started out with him being blessed. Um, so the prison sentence is blessed, too. Yeah. This is Creek Without the Table podcast. We pray you're enjoying the show. If you are, feel free to leave us a good rating Share our podcast with a friend and turn on post notifications so that you don't miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Patreon, Apple Music, Spotify, or any other streaming platform. Get comfortable and enjoy the rest of the show. And we're back. That was good. All right. So we're jumping back into Joseph um, at the prison, right? He's, he's in prison, but there's this idea that God is blessing him there. She has blue hair. <laughs> she, what? what? You ever seen I that? get it. I got <laughs> you. You've never seen that commercial when he's like, you know. Like, oh, the parents. You're yeah, like, we're just talking yeah, from blue hair. your parents. Don't see, we all see it? We all <laughs> see it. She has blue hair. Gosh, it's all. <laughs> Sorry. 
yeah. derailed the entire <laughs> process. So Joseph is in prison, but everything he does is being blessed. Yeah. So in chapter 40, we have another set of two dreams. This whole storyline with Joseph started out with a set of two dreams. Yeah. They got him sold into Egypt, and he was working for Potiphar. Things are going kind of solid until Potiphar's wife played the role of a serpent. Got him tossed in prison after accusing him of doing something he didn't do. And now there's two more dreams. One is by a cupbearer for Pharaoh, the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker. So people that have a direct audience with, with the king of Egypt, with Pharaoh. And in this chapter, Joseph interprets both of these dreams for them. So now it's not just him having dreams, but it's him being able to, to discern it's yeah it's him being given divine wisdom by god to interpret dreams it's divination right that was that's been Whoa. mentioned and used like in a bad light but this is coming from god yeah. this is good this is, yeah. this is the, the the call against divination in the bible is always because you're you're accessing a realm that yeah. you don't have permission to be yeah accessing but when god gives you that permission it's a good thing and so jo joseph has a supernatural ability to to know things to understand yeah, so that not belaboring the detail of the dreams in Genesis 40, one is the chief cupbearer, and Joseph's interpretation of him is favorable. In verse 13, he says, In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. He's like, hey, you're going to get rehired. You're going to be good. He said, only remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh as to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Yeah. He's so from when the, the, pit. the next verse is low-key kind of sad. So the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable. It's almost like that gave him a little bit more courage. <laughs> he says to Joseph, I also had a dream. He tells him the dream, and Joseph is like, well, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head too, but it's from your body. From <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna lift up your head from you, lift your head from you and, and hang, hang you, you from on the a tree. tree. Yeah. Oh my god. And the birds will eat the flesh from. What you. did this man do? <laughs> so it says this is another important theme. So you have two dreams, both are are set, um, with the time of time period of three days. One is lifted up and restored to his place. The other one is lifted up and hung on a tree. Yeah. Then mm. on the third day, which <laughs> which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants. He lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer. And then he lifted up the head of the chief baker <laughs> in two different positions. So he Pharaoh decides for his birthday, let's rehire the dude with the wine and let's hang the dude that makes the bread. He must not have made a very good cake. Yeah. No. Pharaoh didn't like... Uh... He's not with coconut it. and his cookies. <laughs> can I can I make a, a, a quick point? When, when we look at Joseph in the, in the beginning of, of this story, where it says that he's in the, the prison, and it says that the Lord blessed everything that he did, it almost paints him in the light of his father Jacob when he was in the charge of Laban, right? And he was laboring, and it says that the Lord blessed everything that he did, and he blessed Laban because of him. Well, here mm. he's everything's done, doing is being blessed, and the the chief you know, prison guard is being blessed on his behalf. It's very similar to what happened in Potiphar's house. Like that's, yeah. that's one thing that's been said uh, over and over about Joseph is that the Lord is with him. Sometimes the favor. Bless them. Right. Blessed others. And there were times that it, because obviously that is right, but there's times where I could see Joseph starting to doubt that. Like, 
It says, yet the chief cupbearers did not remember Joseph, but oh, forgot man. him. Like a, like a discouragement. <clears throat> she, they just forgot him. Like it's like, yeah. like in the movie, and he starts singing that song. Yeah. Can I ask one you one thing real quick? I really love the way you say Pharaoh. Can you say it for me one more time? Pharaoh. Yeah. I don't That's get beautiful. It. What's wrong? With it's that? a Kansas thing, bro. Because it takes an outsider to even recognize it. I guess. How do you say it? Pharaoh. Say it. Pharaoh. 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 Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was more. Heart is off. Pharaoh. Anyway, Sorry. anyway. <laughs> so he's in prison. Uh, he's waiting for the the cupbearer to keep his word, and after, he doesn't do it. He doesn't keep no, his word. Forget him. Two years since Genesis forty-one has passed by, and Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and there came up out of the Nile seven cows. They were plump and they fed on the reed grass, and then seven other cows that are ugly. So we have another set of two dreams going to happen here. Yeah. So there's three sets of two dreams throughout the culmination of Joseph's story. The last one happens to be with the most powerful man in Egypt. And he's standing Probably by, well. yeah, and he's standing by the Nile, which the Egyptians would view to be like the, the source place of life for the planet, right? Absolutely. Not just a natural source of life, but in their, in their mythology uh, divinely as well. So he has a dream that there's seven healthy cows and seven ugly cows. And the seven ugly cows came up onto the bank of the Nile after the good ones and ate them. Then he, he wakes up and he falls asleep and dreams a second time. And in this dream, there are seven ears of grain, plump and good, growing on one stalk. And after them sprout seven ears of thin, yeah. Yeah, thin that are blighted by the east wind. And the bad ones eat up the good ones again. And Pharaoh wakes up and it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all of the magicians of Egypt and the wise men. And he told them his dreams, but there is none that are able to interpret him to Pharaoh. So verse 9 picks up um, with the chief cupbearer remembering his offenses and telling Pharaoh, Hey, there's a young Hebrew when we were in jail, me and that chief baker that you hung. We both had dreams and those dreams came to pass after he told us the interpretation. You need to call for this guy. He, he knows what's up. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. They bring him up. He shaves himself because he, he's a Hebrew in, in an Egyptian culture. So he shaves himself to appear before Pharaoh, changes his clothes and comes in. And Pharaoh says, I have this dream and there's none to interpret it. I have heard that you can hear a dream and interpret it. And Joseph answers him beautifully. Yeah. It is not in me, Pharaoh. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. God will tell him. Then Pharaoh says to Joseph his dreams, and and Joseph gives him the interpretations. Summarizing the story, he says, well, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. There's going to be seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. Yeah. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And the plenty that you enjoyed for that whole seven years is going to be forgotten (laughs) during the famine because the famine is so bad, it's going to consume the land. Yeah. Yeah. So he tells Pharaoh this dream and then he's he didn't even really ask like for advice. Yeah. <laughs> but says, Joseph gives it to yeah. him anyway, right? Let Pharaoh pick up pick a wise man and place him yeah. over. A discerning and wise man. Yeah. Keep in mind that wise man is being equated earlier in this chapter with magicians, people that can hear divine from the divine. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Can be a, a 
uh, intersect between the divine and hear from the divine to impart divine wisdom to men, right? But he says, let a discerning and wise man be put over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, take a fifth of the produce of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and store it up. And the proposal pleases Pharaoh and all of his servants. So Pharaoh says, like, can we find a dude like this? He's like, in whom is the spirit of God? And then Pharaoh That's says to Joseph, hey, since God has shown you everything there is, there's none that's discerning and wise as you are. You will be over all my house. All of my people will order themselves as you command. As only in regards to the throne, I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. He gives him a wife. Um, he changes his name from a Hebrew name to Zaphonath Paneah. You know, you know what's crazy, real quick? Uh, the, the footnote there, uh, when it says that all my people will order themselves as your command, it says that the Hebrew literally means that all my people will kiss the ground. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. That's pretty dope. But, so he's 30 yeah. years old when he enters the service of Pharaoh. So for their culture, he's a young guy. Well, yeah. I mean, just kind of coming into being a man, really, at yeah. 30. Is... But he's given the daughter of a pagan priest, and he's given an Egyptian name. He has a son. God blesses him with his son towards the end of 41. And Joseph calls the name of his firstborn son Manasseh. For the Lord has for, has made me forget all of the hardship of my father's house. The name of the second son he has, he calls Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Back back to my point earlier about like the separation. You know, at this point he's given this, this Egyptian wife at what, and it's, you know, where he refused to take the, the Egyptian wife of his master. It's it's almost like it seems like the the principle's been compromised. But then you have this note where he names his children Ephraim and Manasseh. Yeah, they're Hebrew names. At the pinnacle of Egyptian culture, he doesn't name his children Egyptian names. He names them Hebrew names, and it's almost like an inclusion of this Gentile right of this yeah. person outside is getting brought in. But not at the, the compromise of the line, not at the compromise of the people, right? You're gonna right. you're a Hebrew, you're gonna be a Hebrew name. You're, my boys are gonna be Hebrew. And so after that, the the famine came, two sons are born. We already read <clears throat> we already read that. Seven years of plenty, they occurred, seven years of famine began, and as Joseph said, there was famine in all the lands, in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he says to do. So we have this elevation now from pit to prison, but then to the height of power, right? In Egypt, number two. Got to have that third P in there. Man. <laughs> <laughs> palace. palace. Pit, pit, prison, palace. But it, 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 is, it is insane that a slave would be elevated to basically king dude i love what jacob says on the next chapter <laughs> 42 he learns that there's grain for sale in egypt and he says to his sons why do you look at one another <laughs> <laughs> let's get down to business <laughs> he's like dude, dude that movie is lit they don't make movies like that anymore. come on for real except for joseph yeah he says that you know hey i've heard there's grain in egypt let's go there let's buy why why should we just sit here and die right <laughs> but jo joseph has a younger brother Named Benjamin. Ben Hamin. Ben Hamin, son of my right hand. 
and he's like, hey, you go, you guys go down and get that grain from Egypt, but you're not you, Benjamin. You stay home. Yeah. The new favorite. Because the old one in Jacob's eyes is dead, as far as he knows. So verse 5 of 42 says that the sons of Israel come to buy among the others who came, for famine was in the land of Canaan. Mm. So Joseph's, you know, the top dog, and he sees his brothers in verse 7, and he recognized them. But he what treats it them. Say? It says that they bowed themselves before him come on the on, ground with their faces to the ground. You got to know Joseph had his arms to play. But funny enough, in this case, they don't have any sheaves of, of wheat. And I'm not trying to make, you know, literal one-for-one one um, translation or, you know. But it it's interesting that it's because of wheat that they're coming here. Yeah. You yeah. know, that in order to get food, they're bowing themselves down to Joseph. And they have no idea that it's him. But it, he knows. He knows so he's going to play a game with them. He says, you guys are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. That's kind of an interesting little yeah. Hint back to Genesis. But they said to him, No, my lord, your servants your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. We are honest men. Uh, lie. Mm. <laughs> Not really. Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. I bet Joseph's like, honest man, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Something in me. Let's see about that. We, your servants, are the twelve sons. Our 12 brothers and the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Joseph's like, 12? And like, why even bring that up? You know? Uh, yeah. I, this I, is situationally ironic. Yeah, for this sure. This whole thing. So, yeah. So Joseph's like, this is the test, right? You're not going to leave this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and bring him back while you remain in prison. That your words will be tested whether it is true or not. And so he puts them all in custody for three days. Keep in mind that where Joseph, whenever he talks to the, the cupbearer and he's like, I I have wrongly been brought to this pit. Now, the storyline started out with his brothers throwing him in a pit. So he calls the prison a pit. Yeah. And then, like, it's almost like a story reset. Joseph's like, I tell you what, I'm sticking all of you in the pit. <laughs> and nobody's leaving here until the yeah, youngest brother. One of comes. you is going to go and, and get the younger brother. Yeah. And on the third day, Joseph said, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain here in custody and carry out the grain and the famine to your households. Bring your youngest brother to me, and so your words will be verified and you will not die. They said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, right? So they, they understand, and probably pretty ad, you know adequately, like this is happening because of what we did. Yeah. I love, too, that it says on the third day, Joseph said to them, in a sense, let one of your brothers be a substitute for yeah. the lives of the rest of them. Yeah. That theme is going to become important too. Yeah, I love it. It says that when we saw our brother in distress, the distress of his soul, when he begged us, we did not listen. Mm. You know, that's like, that's cold. And I'll, and Reuben answered and said, did I not tell you not to sin against him? But you did not listen. And now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Man, Reuben's starting to look a little bit wise. And they have no idea that Joseph is him. And he's speaking to him through an interpreter. He's not speaking Hebrew. So, <laughs> so he, they're over here having conversations. So he, he's like. He understands everything that yeah, they're saying. Man, no and doubt. He, he turns away from him and weeps. And so he took Simeon. He binds him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in a sack. So he, he gives them the grain for free. You know, it's kind of a little hint. But this is like test number one. 
Like, yeah, if you're comfortable with doing the thing you did in the beginning, you can return back to your father's house in yeah. peace. Take the grain, which is what you came here for. And if you're okay with Simeon staying in this pit for the rest of his not, life, potentially, if you don't return, it, that's exactly what this is. This is a, are you going to do what you did before? You said you're honest men. Let's are you going to sacrifice <laughs> one of you, right? Are you going to leave one to die for, so you can have benefit? So you can, and so they're placed in the same exact position. What, that's kind of some wisdom from old Joseph, isn't it? Man. And so they go back to their father, Jacob in the land of Canaan, and, and they tell him what happened. And, uh, they say, well, we told them we're honest men, that we've never been spies, that we're 12 brothers of one father, and one is no more. And the youngest is, you know, he's back with our father. And, the, and then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, this is the way that I'll know that you're an honest man. And so they explain the trap to him. They find their money, and Jacob says, you have bereaved me of my children, and Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take away Benjamin. All of, his, all of this has come against me. And Reuben says, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Man. So he offers. Why does he say, don't, why does he not say like, kill me if I don't bring him back to you? It's like, (laughs) that's pretty shady. He's He's getting close. Yeah. He's getting close (laughs) for substitution. Just not the right idea. He's like, don't take my life, take my boy's life. Yeah. But there's two of Jacob's sons that are gone as a result, right? He says, you have bereaved me and my children. It's plural. Yeah. Then Jacob's like, no, not happening. If harm should come to Benjamin on the journey you make, you would bring my gray hairs down with sorrow to Sheol. We have no idea the, the time that goes, but Simeon's probably sitting there thinking like, yeah, uh-huh, Reuben, Judah, yeah, coming back, huh? Man. Honest man, huh? <laughs> well, in Genesis 43, it says the famine was severe. So it brings, the, it brings that theme up again, yeah. that things are desperate. So they go back to... Jacob's like, hey, uh, go back down there again and buy us a little food. And Jacob, Judah speaks to him this time. Yeah. This is the same guy, his whole debacle with Tamar, right? He says, that man told us, like, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. He said, if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. So Israel says, why did you treat me so badly? As to tell the man that you had another brother. <laughs> so they, they rehashed the like, whole... He's like, man, I didn't tell him anything. He knew everything. They, <laughs> they, they rehashed the whole story again. Yeah. And Judah, verse in verse 8, says something so beautiful. He says to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me. We will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we, you, and also our little ones. I will be a pledge from his for his safety. From my hand, you will require him. Oh. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. But if we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. So he caves in. He says, all right, take all of this stuff from the land of Canaan. You know, all of the good stuff, pistachios, nuts, almonds, you know, whatever. Take that money <laughs> that was in the mouth of your sacks that didn't get taken the first time. Go back. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man that he would send your brother Benjamin back to me. So they take the present, they double the money, they arise, they go down to Egypt, they stand before Joseph. And Joseph sees Benjamin. He said, and coming in verse 16, says to the steward of his house, bring him in to the house, slaughter an animal. So they make this feast. Everything seems to be great. Um, They tell him about the money that was left in their sacks. They're like, hey, dude, last time we came to buy grain, 
the money wasn't taken out of our sacks. So I know what you want to do about that. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. God bless you. Yeah. And 28, he says, he's asking them, is your father well? Is he still alive? You know, so that once again, he's like, there's that concern for his father. And they bowed their heads and they prostrated themselves. So by dream number two, yeah. the second time <laughs> now they've bowed. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother that you spoke of to me? God be gracious to you, my son. So like Joseph is like, man, you know, he calls Benjamin his son, and, he, and he's obviously, you know, very moved to see him. So in verse 44, we're going to have a run back of this test. Yeah. Simeon just got released. And at this feast, at this feast, like the, the test is this. He, he puts, not only does the, the money return thing, but he puts a, a piece of silver, right? A silver cup. He puts it in Benjamin's sack and he, and, he, and he lets him go, right? Go on home, go do your thing. But they get a little ways down the road. And he it's says, after they've drank wine. And yeah. Mary. Right. Yeah. And so at, after they get a little bit down the road, then he says, you know, hey, they stole my cup. They've dealt treacherously. Man. You know, go, go get them. Dude, they're both. These people's vocabulary when it comes to pressured situations is really just a bad thing. They, <laughs> oh gosh. Man. So he overtakes them and they're like, dude, why does my Lord accuse us of this stuff? They're like, bro, we would never do that. You know, in fact, behold, the money's here. Whichever of your servants is found with that cup will die and the rest of uh, us will be your slaves. It's like, oh God, why would you say that? <laughs> so, <laughs> So all of them like immediately lower their sacks, it says, to the ground. And each man opened a sack and they searched. And lo and behold, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Oh, and it says they tear their clothes. The favorite son is being. And this is the one that can't die. Yeah, yeah. the only <laughs> one. The one that... Like if Simeon dies, it's going to be okay. You're irreplaceable. <laughs> Jacob waited a long time to send him back, right. you know, so, over Simeon. Dude, so he brings him back to the city and Joseph is like, Yo, why have you done this? Don't you know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? So he's lying. He didn't practice any divination. Yeah. He's like, you know, they're like, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out oh, the man. guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he who is in the hand of the cup that has been found. Notice that they change it. Yeah. Because they first said, let the one that has the cup die and the rest of us be your servants. They they try to slip something in here like all of us are going to be slaves. All of us are your slaves. Yeah. But he, he, he refuses and says, only the one who took it. But Judah went up to him and said, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And do not be angry and, or let your anger burn against your servant. For you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead. He alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. But you said to your servants to bring him down here that you could see him. And we said that the boy cannot leave his father, for he should leave his father, and his his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest is brought down here, you will not see me again. So we went back, and we told your servant, my father, we told him the words of, of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said we cannot go down unless our youngest brother goes with us. For we cannot see the man's face again unless our younger brother is there. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore two sons to me. One left me and said, Surely this has been torn to pieces. I have never seen him again. If you take this one from me also, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hair to evil in Sheol. 
my gosh, dog. <laughs> now then, as soon as I came to to your servant, my father, the boy is not with us. His life is bound up in the boy's life. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, in sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy, saying, If I do not bring him back, then I shall bear the blame before my father for all of my life. Hmm. That's good, dude. <laughs> yeah. Judah turns from being like this crook that sacks a temple prostitute, lies and wants to burn her, to being an intercessor. This clearly isn't the guy, but... Yeah, I mean, you have a moment where he does look very similar to the intercessor, to the snake crusher. Well, yeah, Joseph is number two underneath the serpent, right? Pharaoh literally has a plumed headdress that looks like a serpent, <laughs> and, and, and Joseph is number two. But here, Judah is—he's the intercessor, that right? He, he's uh, yeah. the Abraham was. He's the one who's who's going, and, you know, between. And really, what he does is he confesses. Yeah, he to the one person here that he probably should be telling the truth to. He does. He comes clean. Yeah. You know, summarizing the rest of the story, Joseph can't control himself anymore, and he makes everyone else leave. He shows himself to his brother. They all reconcile, and he says, hey, go back and get my father and bring him back here. And Pharaoh finds out that Joseph's family is coming. That's a dude that saved not only the whole nation, but arguably portions of the planet right and he's like well hey we'll give them the best place to live in so you go take them and settle in goshen and joseph even tries to tell him like hey don't uh don't tell them we're shepherds that's not a good thing to tell egyptians they don't like that you know, <laughs> don't, don't yeah he sends wagons he says yeah. bring your little ones bring your family yeah, bring everybody so they do then joseph and his father are reunited they settle and go crazy dude the, in 26 they, they tell him joseph is still alive and he is the ruler of the land all of the land of egypt and his heart became numb for he did not believe him but when they told him the words of joseph which he had said when he saw the wagons that joseph had sent to carry him the spirit of their father jacob revived and israel said right now he's not jacob anymore and israel said it is enough joseph my son is still alive i will go and i will see him before i die man mm. and the, the story culminates with what seems to be like a pretty happy ending. And plowing forward to Genesis 48, some of the last moments we have of Jacob is, is the blessings that he passes to his children. Yeah. So in 48, Joseph is told, your father's ill. So he thinks his father's about to die. He brings his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, mentioned in their, in their chronological order, oldest to youngest. And it said, hey, Joseph is with you. So it says, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in the bed. And he said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in the land of, of Canaan at Luz and blessed me and said, I'll make you fruitful. And he said, look, Ephraim and Manasseh are mine as Reuben and Simeon are mine. So wow. he takes like ownership of Joseph's two sons. Crazy, dude. And he begins to speak a blessing over them. And so, dude, that is the purification though, right? Now they're not half breeds of this Egyptian woman. They're yeah. my sons. Right. Yeah. They're fully Israel, right? That's good. Yeah. So you want to just read the blessings of all the Yeah. So he see Israel sees Joseph's sons. He says, Who are these? He says they're mine. His eyes are, are dim with old age, just like Isaac's with a set of two boys. Joseph tries to switch them, but there's a blessing. Specifically, I want to highlight the one of Ephraim. Yeah. Whom he sure. tells you will be the fruit, you know, the fullness of the nations. Wow. He says something 
I, I think that's so key in, in verse 15. He said, the God from whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, may he bless the boys. Yeah. Those two figures, again, are blended. The yeah. angel of Yahweh and Yahweh right. himself being the same person. And so he blesses them, and then he blesses the rest of his kids. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the fr first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because your father, you went into your father's bed and you defiled it. Man, there's a lot of other blessings here that aren't as good, but one that we need to highlight in particular. So Judah, um, this is the one that we want to highlight. Your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. For Judah is a lion's cub. And from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down and he crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter shall never depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, until all, and to, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vestures in the blood of grapes. Mm. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. Man, dude, that is a crazy blessing. And it's so packed full of imagery. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, we get, we've already had the idea blended that the snake crusher would not just be uh, a prophet, but with Melchizedek also forecasted this blending of a priest king. Yeah. So there will be this snake crusher should be a ruler. And he says specifically from Judah that the scepter will never depart from him, Man. that the ruler's staff will never depart from between his feet, literally translated um, from the Septuagint until he comes to whom it belongs. So there's one from Judah to whom the scepter will belong and it will never pass from beneath his feet. Yeah, that's so good. So some summary of that, I mean, we pretty much are told like the snake crusher is going to be from from you. Yeah. So just kind of like a, a little bit of recap. We have this done in this in this story of Joseph. The brothers, they look like the bad guys, right? They're, they're not good. Joseph seems to be the elected one. He looks really great. He then goes through this roller coaster story of being brought to the the three p's right <laughs> the pit the, the prison and then the palace and, you, and and you see him as almost as prince of all over all of egypt right and you're thinking like oh this is the king this is the deliverance of israel this is how it's going to happen this is going to be the one who steps on the head of the serpent but then he just he doesn't the, the story changes it switches again to where judah this one who was the betrayer he was not a he wasn't a good guy he gets painted in this light of of where he's he intercedes on behalf of his his brother right the younger brother and he plays that that substitutionary role and in, in at, the, at the end of the life and in, in his father's blessing we get told like just like jacob was how much can you look like a serpent and still be redeemed and still be the chosen one you know, that, that seems to be the stories that we've read so far is not only is it the subversion of, of culture and the elevation of the younger over the older, over the preeminent one. Right. And that happens again here. J Judah's not the older one. Right. But we, we see this where it's it's not just older versus younger, but it's also the one that looks bad. God redeems. Right. Out of out of um, 
Jacob and Esau. Jacob looked worse, but Jacob yeah. gets redeemed. Jacob's the one that gets turned to Israel. That's a good point. Is like, you know, Joseph's the one who was the good guy the whole time. And, you know, yeah, I just really like that, that you belabored that a little bit. Like Judah might have been bad, but he's the one who's ultimately, I would say, is more blessed. And that's good news for me. Right? <laughs> Amen. That's good news for me because I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been the one that's, that's fallen short, right? But God has interest in redeeming us. I I think that for the purposes of, of this episode, though, like also, and I love this sermon by by uh, uh, Bodhi Bachman, right? Um, where he, he talks about Joseph's position in Egypt. And while Joseph is in Egypt at the height of power, he does not consider that to be the best place to be. Mm. He doesn't consider that prospering. He names his children Hebrew names. Right. He, he he brings his family in into Goshen, gives them the best. And there's this idea of like the best of Egypt. It's not good for me because God gave my people the land of Canaan. Right. So there's a separation from like the wealth of Egypt versus, you know, being with his, his family in, in Goshen. Hmm. And the adopting of his two sons, I think, kind of completes that in it by Jacob, by Israel, right? He, he adopts his two sons and says, these two sons are my sons. And it's that that separation again, being removed from the world, being removed from, from Egypt and, you know, sanctified, separated. Mm, that's good. And in a bittersweet way, that concludes Genesis for us. That's Genesis chapter 50. It's wrapped up and we end with Joseph and all of his brothers. Jacob's dead, being in, in Egypt. <laughs> his brothers think like, oh, now that daddy's dead, Joseph might bring some revenge back. But he doesn't do that. No. He still deals like really kindly with them. The story ends in peace. But Jacob made all of the or sorry, Joseph made the sons of Israel swear to him, saying, hey, God's surely going to visit you. You're going to carry my bones up from this place. That seems perfect. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I was trying to get at. It's like, when you leave here, you don't leave me in Egypt. Yeah. Take me with you, right? Take right. me to, to God's land. Take me to Canaan where God has promised us. And while we do end on like this bittersweet moment, like, whoa, there's peace between brothers, right? It's the, the, the feud is over. When he has the, the ability to step on him, he doesn't do it. He's kind. But they're not in Canaan. And we still have this this bitter memory of God telling Abraham, like your, your sons are going to be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. So you leave, you leave Genesis on this note, like while there's no more quarreling amongst the brothers, it's not good. Yeah. Being in Egypt isn't good. Yeah. So he's uh, embalmed and put in a tomb. Joseph is in the, the story of Genesis is over. So we found that, we still don't have a snake crusher yet. As awesome as Joseph was, he wasn't the guy. He's not the he's not the Messiah. Well, we do know where he might come out of, though. Yeah, so, we, we definitely know where he'll come out yeah. of now. There's a scepter in Judah. Yeah, that's good. And a lion. Dude, there's so much in this. Ugh, like lion. It's so cub. hard for me, not for the, for the purpose of this podcast. It's like reserved because, like, I want to just dive straight into like New Testament imagery, but. I think for the purpose of this podcast, we'll, we'll end on this note. We'll end on the bitter, the bitterness of, of, of Genesis being that they're not in the, the promised land. They're separated from God's promise. But that blessing, that Abrahamic, that Edenic blessing 
has been passed on to another generation. Maybe the next generation will be into the promised land. You know? Got to wait 400 years. About 400 years, it seems, they will be in the territory of the snake. Yeah, under the snake's rule, and in four hundred years, it's easy to easy to think that easy to forget what's well, going on, and it's too. easy to, to think that God's forgotten you. Yeah, yeah, one could almost like reckon that to a four hundred years of silence, maybe. Who knows, dude? I never even made that connection until I never now. made that connection to just said that. That's good. <laughs> All right, we're gonna spoil the next episode. <laughs> we're gonna spoil the episode that's like eighteen episodes from now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's just that's about. about Anybody yeah. got anything to add? No, I think I think that is a good way to end this episode. Yeah, man, uh, Lewis, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, yeah thank you for your insight too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Dom. Well, from all of us here at At the Table Podcast, Godspeed. Take it easy. Lord we bless you. Love you. Thank you for listening to another episode of At the Table Podcast. We hope you have been blessed by the content of the show. If you enjoyed. Subscribe and give us a like on Facebook. If you want to support the podcast, go to our Patreon at The Table Podcast. Until next time, thank you and God bless.